my name is Sharzad. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today I have a really, really great conversation with a woman named Susan Reynolds, who is the co-founder of a nonprofit organization called Look Up. She is so interesting and shares so many great tips. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. I know you are the co-founder of Look Up, a nonprofit organization, and I would love to hear about it. So welcome and let me know about your organization. Thank you. So Look Up um, is a, a nonprofit uh, that is really tackling digital addiction and tech life balance, or at least it started tackling digital addiction um, for tech life balance with youth and over a sort of circuitous route um, since 2014, I landed on a, a on the realization that a lot of adults were working on helping youth with digital well-being and using technology responsibly, but no one at that time was really asking the youth themselves what they saw the pain points to be and what they saw the solutions to be. And um, I think one of the things that I saw in 2014, when I really started zeroing in on this as an adult, researching what was happening with youth in the in the digital age and, and the ways they were impacted by social media and iPhones, was that when I would go to speak to youth, there was almost a defense mechanism that came up the minute I even mentioned technology or social media, even though I was going to them to say, you know, what are the positives of it? What are the negatives of it? And let's talk about that. There is generationally a type of fear that you're going to take my phone away. Mm -hmm. So when we shifted over um, and realized that youth really had their own special pain points um, growing up with social media, growing up in the digital age, and really had solutions. That's how LookUp was born. And we really just started by giving small seed grants uh, to college students who had ideas and solutions. And we've grown from there. Wow. First of all, I love that you are talking to youth about how to fix sort of, and I say in quotes, fix, but attack their own issues with social media. I've interviewed quite a few teenagers in the last few weeks, and they've all given me advice on um, how to handle social media. And I think that's so important to talk about how much fun social media is and also how dangerous and addicting it can be, but not from the like perspective of, I want to take your phone away. Because exactly. the teenagers I've talked to are like, this is how we communicate. So it's unrealistic to say that we're not going to have our phones. It's unrealistic to say you can never go on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, whatever the other ones are. So I think that that's like a really beautiful, wonderful place that your organization was founded from. So I just want to applaud you for that because I think that's brilliant. It took, it took a while to figure that out, but <laughs> well, you made it there. So that's great. When we, when we, when we hit upon that, it was almost like the groove opened and it was very clear. And one data point that really sort of shocked me was um, we had a junior at Phillips Andover Academy and she wanted to come up with the lookup challenge, which was to get all of her friends to take a break from social media for a week so that they none of them would suffer from FOMO and they would have more time on homework and be more productive. And as she reached out to her friend group, they all said, oh, that's really nice, Juliet, but that's too scary. Oh, and it was wow, the word scary that that was sort of this realization that there was a huge generational divide. 
Because even though it may be difficult to give up social media or to have that impulse to want to check it, it wasn't scary. And this whole notion that this generation of Gen Z is really grown up right alongside social media and their identities are woven into it. So it was like, Susan, if you ask us to put our phone down, you're asking us to put a piece of us down. Right. Um, and all all of the um, consequences of that and and right. social growth. Right. It's like not driving for a week or something. You know what I mean? Something that we take for granted that we do. I mean, I live in L.A. County. I have to drive everywhere. I mean, for the most part, you know, what do you feel like some of the biggest issues teenagers currently have with social media is, you know, I hear a lot of stats about mental health, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation being at an all time high and just not enough resources for teenagers. One teenager I talked to was like, there's just not enough. There's not enough places for us to go if we need help. Some people can't can't talk to their parents or they don't feel safe. Some people don't trust their school counselors because they're going to tell their parents there's not a lot of resources. But I'm curious first, though, what do you think what some of the biggest issues are with teenagers and social media specifically? Well, it's interesting. So, you know, I mentioned 2014 because 2014 was a year that I read a sentence by the Stanford provost that said college students have never been more anxious, depressed, addicted, self-harming, lonely, isolated. I mean, it was it was uh, it was a tragic sentence. And then when I dug into it, I was trying to analyze, well, wh what what are they saying about living in the digital world? Yeah. And that was 2014. I know and I was just going to say this. And before the pandemic, um, you know, just highlighting that it was it was really a problem before the pandemic. But then the pandemic just um, really added to it. But one of the things that I began to notice about mental health and in some of the causes was it may not have necessarily been that social media or 24 seven connectivity was causing an issue, but it was it was exasperating it. Right. It was it was heightening, heightening it. And there are two things in, in my work with students that I realized is they didn't have a lot of data. And so a really simple piece of data that nomophobia. So no mobile phone phobia. So when you can't find your phone, you don't just have a worry. You have a, a visceral, physical reaction of anxiety to not be able to find your phone. Same thing happens if it dies um, or that you left it behind. And this is, you know, this is this is this is data and, 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 and research. And if we just think about those moments of anxiety, we're sending our brain into fight, flight or freeze. That's just creating a little bit more heightened anxiety. And then the other piece of data I found early on is there's actually something called screen apnea. Hmm. And screen apnea is like sleep apnea. We stop breathing. So we literally stop breathing when we check an email or check a text. That's so check weird. Check Snapchat or check to see how many likes or followers we have on Instagram. We inhale and we don't exhale because there's this, you know, it's called the invariable reward system. We don't know what's coming. And when you think about that and you think about, then you look at sort of the data of the hours of time that we all spend um, on a device. But in, in particular, when we look at what youth are spending on, on online and, and checking their phones, that's constant zipping the, the, the nervous system into fight, flight or freeze that just creates more anxiety and dumps in more cortisol. I mean, you know, there's there's so much neuroscience around that, but that's 
everybody. That's the digital age. That's living in this low hum of technology and just this little bit of heightened anxiety, which makes a problem maybe before living in the digital age, I'm having a really bad day to, I don't want to be on the planet anymore. And I mean, that's an extreme, but the nervous system can jump that much more quickly to that reactivity. So, and those are just, that doesn't have anything to do with anything other than we're all living in this digital age. Right. Right. That's crazy. And I I think one of the things that I really like that you address on your website that I saw was this discussion of a tech life balance. And I'm really obsessed with that conversation. I feel like I had to make my own boundaries a couple years ago. I was just getting, I was noticing that I was scrolling and then not feeling great after. Like it took a second, but I'd be like, you know what? I'm more irritable. I'm kind of yelling at my kids. I'm kind of like being mean to myself. I'm saying mean things to myself, whatever. And it, it took me a second to figure out that I needed some boundaries so that I could try and enjoy my experience on the internet. And this is coming from somebody who's created content online for 11 years and makes a living from creating content. So I really needed to find some way to find joy in it so that I could stay employed also and find, you know, just, just be a happy person. So I'm sort of obsessed with the idea of tech life balance and of just like digital well-being, which I, I think is sort of a newer word for me, but a really important one, like creating digital, like good, digital citizens. And I love that you guys talk about that. Will you share with me like what that means for you, tech life balance, or what that means for the youth in your, in your organization? Sure. And I think one way to think about it is sort of time on phones and social media, and then what kind of content, right. And, 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 and what's happening with particularly with the social media, but you know, I, I could talk for an hour and at the end, if you said, okay, Susan, boil it down to, you know, three nuggets. It's, and I call it the three S's. If you can sleep without your phone, if you can study or work without your phone, and if you can socialize without your phone, right? Starting there. And so this is when I was talking about this lookup challenge where our friends were like, well, that's too scary. Okay, so let's break it apart. Choose a time you want to take a break from social media and your phone. And, and that was, that was a really popular program um, that she created because you could choose, Oh, okay, well this week I'm going to sleep without my phone or this week I'm going to study without my phone. Or when, when our friend group is together, we're just going to make a commitment that we're not going to be on our phones. So I think that's a really critical piece, but I guess, and I'm just, it's just dawning on me. There's a fourth S here. And that's understanding that this generation has the highest level of solitude deprivation. And the problem with the problem with solitude deprivation is if you are constantly receiving external stimulation, which we receive from 24 seven connectivity without a chance to sit in stillness and silence, And it doesn't even have to be, you know, I mean, definitely meditation and mindfulness, but it doesn't even have to be meditation or mindfulness, just silence or just a point of time where there's no external stimulation. So you can hear yourself think, right? So you can, so that you can actually calm that nervous system that is being so heightened 
by the nomophobia, by the screen apnea, by, you know, this constant fear of what's going to come across my Twitter account, right? When I can get news 24 seven. So I think those, those actually, I'm not changing it to the four S's. <laughs> just doing that. I love but it. Really, right. Just sleeping without your phone, studying without your phone, um, socializing without your phone and finding times for stillness and silence, even a minute. Right. resets the nervous system. And it is painful mm-hmm. um, for, for those who spend a lot of time um, connected just because of the dopamine right. hits that they are getting and that need for that constant stimulation. Um, right. You're doing it really gradually. Right. It's a, creating a healthy habit. I totally get that. It's starting with like, okay, I'm going to have one minute, which seems so insignificant, you know, but for some people might be hard to take a little break and just sit in silence. And then it's adding another minute and another minute. And the next thing you're maybe 10 minutes and you have time to think. I know I, yeah, it's, it's a tricky beast. I always call it the beast of social media because again, it's, it can be so fun and it can be. Well, and not only fun, but what we found during the pandemic was one of the things we're seeing in, in, around, in around Gen Z. And, you know, when I talk about Gen Z, it's, it's, it's really sort of, it's youth born, you know, 95 or after. And then at some point it breaks off and it becomes Gen Alpha. But there is a there is a generalization about Gen Z that they are change agents and really care mm-hmm. about the world, different issues in the world. Um, one of them is the world they've been handed. But the other issue is because social media is so easy to use and it's free and it doesn't require a ride. Mm-hmm. Right. Or transportation. Um, Gen Z is really they're really powerful activists. Mm-hmm. And there's even an organization called Gen Z for Change that is using technology to make huge waves in global issues. So I think it's that it's that it, it, it has been the promise and peril of technology. Um, you know, we since since it began, I mean, or since when I discovered the Internet um, was in 1997 and Don Tapscott had written a book called Growing Up Digital, and he literally predicted the promise and peril, right? The ability to connect and the, the dangers of Internet addiction. And this mm-hmm. is this is like, you know, we don't even have laptops 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no phone, there's no social media, there's no texting, but still that divergent ways that technology works and, and, and drops in the dopamine was, was predicted. And that's the, that's the tricky part. And especially speaking as a content creator, right? Like, you're using the technology for good, for productivity, for, you know, as, as work, but then you also have to figure out how to take care of yourself and protect yourself. Totally. And I, f- I feel like the four S's that you mentioned are obviously great for teens, but they're so important for adults too. I've been really shocked at how much time is literally spent on the apps for people that don't have it as their career, right? So I I talked to one teenager and he said on average when he's on the weekends or during the summer or during COVID, he was online 14 hours a day, 15 hours a day on average, which means, I mean, he was barely offline, you know? And I just felt like that was just really sad. My heart was broken for him. And um, it felt like nobody was modeling 
that healthy behavior for him. Nobody, maybe his parents had to work, obviously. Maybe his parents were going through their own thing and they couldn't be as available or they didn't know how important boundaries were. But I feel like those four S's that you're talking about are key for adults as well. So I have two little kids and I'm kind of obsessed with creating boundaries and I talk to them all the time about healthy habits for social media. My eight-year-old could give a presentation on it already. It's maybe too much, but it's who I am. I'm an oversharer. But I would love to know from your perspective, what you've seen, like, what do you think some good advice is for parents who are about to have teens or who are currently um, dealing with teenagers and they want to try and find some healthier habits? Like the four S's sound fabulous, but how do you implement them? What do you do? What do you think? I mean, you know, holding off. Yeah. Holding off for phones and social media as long as you possibly can. Jonathan Haidt um, has, has, has done a lot of research on this and spoken about it. And there is, there is you know, data that the, lo- the later a youth gets social media, the less chance of depression and anxiety later on, right? So there's a correlation um, but, but between that. So the longer you can hold off, and the more boundaries you can put, I mean, if, if as a parent, if you start off, okay, you're getting a phone and that phone will never be in your bedroom at night when you sleep. It will all, you know, I mean, and it will always be, you know, in the kitchen in a charging station with all of our phones, right? right. It's a family, right. it's a, it's a family contract. Now, these are really, this is really great advice, right? It's so hard to do. And I met... I I gave a presentation at a school to teachers and a woman came up to me afterwards and she said, Susan, I, I was cringing as you were showing data and talking because I finally allowed my 11 year old daughter to have TikTok and I just couldn't fight, you know, the, the, the daily onslaught about it because all of her friends have it and she was feeling left out. And I think this is a real this is a real problem and a real stressor for everybody, for the, the for the youth themselves as well as the parents and 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 parent communities. And you know, parenting is hard enough as it is, and it's really it's really <laughs> there's some issues in this world that are you know besides social media or technology that are causing stress. And so, one resource that I can recommend is. Um, it's it's Dear Parents, and it was written by two youth um, through the Children's Screen Time Action Network. And maybe I can share yes. the website with you and, and yeah. you can put it in that. Um, but it's it's Dear Parents, and it's, and it's from the youth perspective. And I think the critical component, besides the sort of the boundaries and, and the times away from technology and the spaces in the house away from technology, is, is there their recommendation on how to talk about it and and the empathy and the understanding and the curiosity and questioning. And I think also realizing this is a really difficult topic, right? I mean, it, it, there is no easy answer. And I think the, the comparison to like eating healthy as opposed to not drinking or not doing drugs, right? Not, you know, if, if you're, if you're an alcoholic, the, 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 the you know, it's, you're not, you're not going to drink, but if you have an issue with, with food, 
you have to eat, right? So then you have to divide out, you know, what is healthy and what is not healthy and what is, you know, what is a moderate balance. And I I think technology, social media, phone use, laptop use, I mean, it's, it's the same issue. Like people will say to me, so do you have an issue with social media? I said, I have no issue with social media. I have an issue with my laptop. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that thing is just like, why, why the laptop doesn't have to be open 24 (laughs) seven. Totally. Yeah. I don't have to be working on email or right 24 seven. You know, I, I don't have an issue with my phone, but I have an issue with my laptop. And, you know, I think that's generational, but I think it's this compassion and gentleness with ourselves and, and, and teaching youth to be gentle with themselves. Yeah. But, but what I'm hearing from you and what I've heard, too, is even since the beginning of this in, you know, 2019, when, you know, Juliet said, you know, all my friends said it was too scary. I think through the pandemic and almost being forced to spend so much time on technology that more and more youth are saying, I don't like this. Right. Yeah. I don't want to have to be on social media all the time. I feel I have to because. I have to respond to my friend and I have to, you know, keep up with my streaks, but it's really nice when I go to camp and it's not, I I can't do anything about it. Right. It's not me choosing to be off. Hey, I'm at summer camp and there's a month and no one is allowed to have any technology and they love it. It gives me chills. Like it, it makes me want to cry. Like it's so interesting to think that that's such a treat for them to be in a space where nobody's on their phone, you know, so that there's no FOMO or, you know, whatever the word was that nomophobia. I I find in those two things. Right. 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 I, I feel like that's so interesting. And, and just randomly the other day, I was looking up summer camps for my kids for 2023. And I was one of the biggest, like every camp said no screens allowed. And I was just like, yes, like this is amazing. <laughs> They're going to like learn to have eye contact and like these shared experiences that don't like obsessively need to be documented. And then I laugh because I'm like, I document so much in my own life. Like I'm such a hypocrite, you know, who am I to say anything? And I was talking to a girlfriend the other day about this project that I'm doing. And, and I'm like, and I understand the irony, like I'm having these conversations about social media and boundaries and I'm sharing them on social media because I I myself still sort of struggle with the idea of balance. And one week I think I have it or one day I think I've got it. And then the next day I'm like, Oh my God, I just doom scrolled on TikTok for an hour. And I feel like a loser, (laughs) like, you know, I recognize it. Yes, for sure. I recognize it. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's just like a mindfulness practice, right. Or a meditation practice, you know, you can't focus on your breath 24 seven, right. I mean, the mind gets distracted and the whole beauty and power of meditation is when you recognize it. So I think that's a really important piece is like, oops. Yeah. I just spent 20 minutes. I went down the rabbit hole of YouTube. I didn't mean to do that. But I recognize it. Now I'm going to go back to what I was intended to be doing, which might have been my homework, right? Or might have been, you know, talking with a friend. And then we both like looked up some fact and all of a sudden there we were. But it's that recognition, right? And coming yeah. back to, oh, that just happened. I'm going to I'm going to come back to it. So, you know, I think I think that piece is really um, important as well. And you mentioned you're sharing really positive information. And this is in talking to youth mental health advocates, right? I mean, 
social media has been a godsend for them to be able to share these mental health resources that you were talking about, right? Yeah. And spreading the messages of, you know, destigmatization and, you know, creating belonging and inclusivity. Um, so it, it, it really is, that's why it's this double-edged sword. Totally. Uh, How responsible do you personally think like the apps are, the Instagrams and TikToks of the world? I, I say, fa- I would say Facebook, but no teenager seems like they're on Facebook. They're like, oh, that's like my grandma's social media. <laughs> um, I think they're incredibly responsible. Okay. Yeah. Could you elaborate and, on that? Um, and I think, um, you know, I can speak really specifically uh, living in California that there were two bills um, that moved through the California legislation. One of them was the social media duty social media platform duty to children act, which would have allowed parents to sue uh, social media companies for the addictive nature um, of technology and the harms it caused. It made it all the way through the house to the Senate and it got, it got slashed in the Senate appropriations, but it made it all the way to that point. Um, And People aren't done with that. They're you know, going to reintroduce the bill. Now, the California Age Appropriate Design Code made it all the way to Gavin Newsom's office signed into law. Oh. And that bill requires social media companies and technology with certain design techniques for, for technology that youth are not, not allowed to use, but you know, might use, right? So I'm not saying it clearly, but it's, you know, where are they on platforms? You know, you may say, well, 13 year olds shouldn't be on social media because they, you know, they're not supposed to be. Well, they are. Yeah. And that, that was uh, based on a similar bill that was passed in the UK. And there's real optimism here, right? That it's been passed in the UK. So the social media companies have to adhere to it for the UK. Now they're going to have to adhere to it in California. So the idea is right. That it's just going to be easier for social media companies to make it universal. And I say this from the perspective of when I started this work um, and even when the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma came out in September, 2020, you know, and it was, you know, we need to do three things. We need to, you know, look at how we use technology and social media, how we design it and how we regulate it. Even two years ago, the idea of actually being able to regulate it was sort of, was sort of pie in the sky dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now we have an actual bill that has passed, setting a precedent. And then there's two uh, really important bills uh, on the Senate floor, the federal Senate floor, the Kids Online Safety Act and COPA, which is Children Online Protection and Privacy Act. I probably didn't get that completely right. But again, this is new. Um right that these bills can actually be passed. And I think it was Frances Haugen's um, Facebook files and her testimonies last October, right, a year ago, right, where she revealed internal research that Facebook, now Meta, um, had conducted. And yeah. the fact that there was causative data as opposed to correlative data, mm-hmm. uh, which seems like minor, but it was really, really big that, you know, their data showed that Instagram literally um, created self-esteem and body image issues for one third of girls, adolescent girls, right? Yeah. There it was. Um, And we've seen it, you know, Senate hearings. And so I really, I think they are very responsible. And, 
you know, some people are critical and saying, well, just learn to moderate it. Well, the problem is moderating something that is engineered with the most brilliant neuroscientists in the world, mm-hmm. right? With an algorithmic um, design that we can't, you know, it's in a black box. We don't really know what's happening. I mean, that's asking a lot. Um, of a 13 year old. I know. Or the parents of, of, anybody. of anybody. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, it's it's the financial model and it's the attention economy. And um, so, no, I'm a proponent <laughs> of, you know, the design, the design of it, and the design to be addictive and the design to make money for the companies and harm, especially adolescents and children is like that has to stop. I, I never really thought about social media safety or anything from the perspective of the apps until I started having these conversations with people. And so many of the parents that I met were uh, that had trauma. They lost their children because in some way, shape or form, it was related to a, something with social media, whether it was suicide or drug overdose, you know, and I and these parents have dedicated their lives to uh, creating laws and and you know they it's their everything now it's their well, and they and they just sat at the table in the senate senate committee right. Um, right. and you know and they are brave powerful um parents who right. you know doing this but i think the wide range of harms you know from the cyberbullying from choking games and games that go awry to the sale of fentanyl. And, you know, we just learned very recently that there will be a bill in California on um, sex trafficking on social media, right. And protecting children from that. So, so it's, it's multifaceted. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, the awareness of the issues and again, right. It's here to food is here to stay. <laughs> totally. Totally. Technology is here to stay and it's, phenomenal right there's so many phenomenal things um but you know it's how do we mitigate the harms in my work with these amazing um youth leaders youth change agents youth advocates storytellers when i started to think about how could i write a book that weaves their stories together you know through a narrative um and it's fascinating and brave and courageous that so many of these youth have a lived experience. So they have a lived experience with uh, social media addiction, with low self-esteem because of social comparison of an eating disorder, right? Of anxiety and that they have found their way through this in, in a myriad of ways and come out to the other end and said, this, this is a purpose of mine. This is a calling. I want to make it better for others. And it's such a common story, sort of like from pain to purpose. I think that's something to realize about these youth and these generations. Um, I mean, for a young woman to talk about her eating disorder very openly, um, talk about hospitalization and now be working for the Eating Disorders Coalition and Lady Gaga's mental health organization, right? And, and, And using that pain, that trauma, that mental health crisis to help others. I think that's wonderful. I I really admire you for all the work you're doing. And I love that you're talking to teenagers. I obviously think that that's an interesting subject too, because I've (laughs) interviewed quite a few. So we're aligned in what we find interesting. If parents want to get involved or if anybody wants to check out your website, can you tell me a little bit more about lookup.live and what they can expect? It's it's, it's lookup.live. 
Um, and it's Susan at lookup.live and uh, we have a newsletter and all sorts of ways to get involved. And, you know, we have internships and uh, for, for high school students and for college students, volunteer hours. And we, you know, we call all our, our adult partners and impact partners and parents, you know, adult allies. And because the interesting thing about the, the youth movement is they don't want to do it alone. Yeah, right. they really look to um, they have adult role models uh, in in real advocates in the space, and uh, you know they're they're so appreciative of having their voice at the table, particularly around lobbying efforts. Um, mm-hmm. Being invited, you know, to speak at a Senate committee meeting. Um, I'm thinking of California State. I don't know if they. Well, I'm sure they've spoken um, in, in you know in, in D.C. as well. Awesome. Look up dot live. Look up dot live. Yes. yes. Susan, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, you had so many great things to say. These youth just make me happy. And I'm so much happier when I get to talk to them face to face, right? I'm such an in-person girl too. Oh my God, I wish we were having this conversation in person. No, I know. I sort of have a love-hate relationship with Zoom as well. I'm like, I appreciate it because I get to talk to people all over the country. But in reality, I would love to sit. I'm a hugger. I'm a like, let's, you know share energy and connection i'm an in-person person too so yeah. i'm all but about you know that. what again it's that in-person virtual balance because mm-hmm. we've been yeah. able to bring hundreds of youth you know together via yeah. via right. technology right right and, right and then, yeah. but then when you're face to face it's just so rewarding Totally, totally, totally. Thank you so much for watching this episode or listening to this episode. If you want to get more information on Susan's organization, you can check up lookup.lib. I'll leave it in the show notes or in the description of this video. I hope you guys have a wonderful day and I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.